Welcome to MS Minute with DCND, your podcast for understanding multiple sclerosis. Every month, our MS experts tackle a different topic to help you manage your disease and live a better life. DCND is a private neurology practice based out of Dayton, Ohio. It's certified by the National MS Society as a comprehensive MS care center. Please note this podcast and its content is designed for educational and informational purposes only. Welcome to MS Minute with DCND. Thank you so much for tuning in. There have been so many questions surrounding COVID and MS in the last year and a half, so we decided to dedicate an entire episode to the topic, specifically the COVID vaccine. Our hope is to answer some of those common questions that you may have and leave you more prepared to make those decisions with your own providers. To help, we are bringing in two MS experts today, Dr. Ken Pugar and Dr. Ken Mankowski. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Well, I really want to make this a conversation between us all. Um, And to start, I wanted to say, you know, are MS patients more likely to get severely ill from COVID? That's a good question, Natalie. And I would say my answer is potentially. Um, It depends on what medication uh, that they're on uh, in that that affects the efficacy of the vaccination, which we know is an enormous treatment strategy to lessen the effects of, of COVID. Just having multiple sclerosis taking any medication out of the equation does not seem to convey any greater or significantly greater risk of either getting COVID or succumbing uh, to it uh, from the literature uh, that I'm aware of. Dr. Minkowski, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I agree 100%. My my gut reaction, and I love the question, I've heard on the national media on two occasions people saying, telling their personal journey, which is great, but say that they have MS, so they're immunosuppressed and they're more susceptible to COVID. And that I agree with Dr. Pugar, that's absolutely not true. So treatment aside, MS itself does not increase risk of getting COVID or dying of COVID, with one exception. If you are impaired of mobility and you're not able to get up and around and be active, well, then you're always a little more susceptible to pneumonias in infections in general, because the human body is meant to move. So it's not a direct effect of MS, but if your MS has taken hold of you to where you're not ambulatory, then you always have to be a little bit more concerned about susceptibility to infections in general, but not specific to COVID. Sure. Okay. Well, that's helpful. So let's um, kind of pivot and talk about the vaccine, because a lot of questions about that right now. Um, Should MS patients get the COVID vaccine? Well, to me, the short answer is yes. Um, I don't see uh, any powerful indication that that they should not. Now, there's always going to be exceptions, just like there's exceptions in the general population where we might say, hey, it might not be a great idea if you get the vaccine. Someone who's had a previous adverse reaction to vaccines, beyond beret, you know, many other, other comorbidities that they might have. But across the board, when my MS patients say to me, should I get the vaccine, the COVID vaccine, my answer is yes. I agree 100%. And I, I think sometimes you miss it in the mass media who's trying to get messaging out for good reason. Let's never forget and remind patients, make that decision with you and your physician. 
with Dr. Pugar or your equivalent Dr. Pugar in the office. In general, I think it's absolutely advised uh, with some exceptions, but the three, re three main registries worldwide in multiple sclerosis, which the NICE updates last week at a national meeting in Orlando, mm -hmm. said what Dr. Pugar just said. Surprisingly, we're not only not seeing an increase, it's nominal to nothing. So it's, it's theoretically always a concern about causing a relapse or something like that. But that's more old school when we used to have what was called live vaccinations. And for lack of a better, or I'm very simple-minded, the COVID aren't, you know, Pfizer and, and Moderna, they're dead vaccines. So they're not giving you real vaccine. And we're just not seeing uh, MS patients have any different or worse consequences of the vaccine than we see the general population. Great. Well, how about timing? I know that that was a, a question that some um, patients have uh, timing with their medication that they're on. Um, is that ever a concern? Should they adjust when they should get their dose um, accordingly? Well, to me, first of all, I thought it was foolish even to consider timing with the number of medications that we get. If someone is taking, for instance, an oral agent every day, you know, or they're even getting an injection or an, inf an infusion monthly, let's say, really doesn't make much sense to start playing with timing. I think the only agents where we could even give that consideration are those that we give relatively infrequently, perhaps twice a year or um, you know, even uh, less frequently. Then I think it's reasonable to consider timing. Now, it depends on the mechanism of action uh, on the particular drug. It does seem like most of the MS therapies, the immune response that they mounted to the vaccine didn't matter much as far as the timing goes. That said, theoretically, there are certain agents out there that I think it makes some sense, if possible, to time them correctly. So, for instance, if we're going to give an agent that's going to deplete the immune system, the B cells and the T cells, it makes sense to me that we don't give them the vaccine when those B and T cells are the lowest they're going to be in the, in the course of that therapy. Uh, so I, that said, I will use timing, therefore, an initiation of a drug. If I'm, before I give perhaps their first dose from starting a new patient, but if somebody is all ready on a therapy, I believe the risks of not vaccinating them, not getting them the COVID vaccine, are greater than the benefits of trying to properly time it. And Dr. Mikowski, what are your thoughts? Uh, that you, you took the words out of my mouth. I think prior to treatment, we will always recommend, unless there's a reason not to, to fully vaccinate prior to initiating the therapy. Beyond that, I'm going to make a general statement in a podcast sort of thing of don't outsmart yourself. Uh, get the vaccine you can. There's always boosters down the road. With the exception that you might get a little fancy on timing, I think that's patient-specific, and that should be reserved for the patient-doctor relationship and in the, in, in the office. That's more the exception than the rule. Okay. Well, you've mentioned boosters. Um, what are the, the guidance on that? Uh, you know, boosters are available right now to, to some people, so should uh, patients with MS get boosters? Well, I'm going to plead ignorance as far as guidelines. I'm, I'm not aware of any right now. Uh, to me, I'm looking at boosters for MS patients like I look at boosters for anybody else out there. You know, if, if you feel, you know, a patient group 
is is appropriate for a booster, whether it be the elderly or nursing home patients or ho however you want to look at it. Um, I think that's reasonable. And whether or not they had MS or on meds, it, it probably wouldn't influence my decision. I, I, yeah, I treat them as a person and booster based on age and other medical problems and COVID risk factors. And a lot of times get the consensus from the primary care doc. And, and I actually go out of my way to do it, what Dr. Pugar just said. Don't let MS make that decision for you. Get the booster if your primary care doc says that you should have the booster. And the only accept, acceptance or exception to that would be the National MS Society, some guidance if you're on a pure immunosuppressant, Ocrevus, Casempta, Mavenclad, Lamtrada, Gelenia, Mazin. I hope I'm not missing too much. If you're actually on an immunosuppressant, we're actually depleting or killing cells temporarily before they regrow and rebuild. Uh, those folks are now advised in general, they don't even call it a booster now. You could, they get the third dose. Because those medications block the full immune response to the vaccine, we really want that third dose in most cases so that we get them as much protection as possible. It's also the population that's least likely to have an adverse effect associated with the vaccine because the medications blunt the, the effect. Well, that's also protected. You're very unlikely to have an overreactive immune response, which is where a problem can occur. So that's the only niche that, that I think we're trending towards now. If we're actually prescribing an immunodepleter, immunosuppressant medication that blunts the effect, we may become more routine to encourage that third dose. So, so Dr. Mankowski, I'd like to ask you a question then. So if, if someone is on chronic, long-term CD20 uh, depleters, um, CD20 agents, do you believe the COVID then is even going to, the COVID booster is even going to have any benefit? You know, I have so, to you know, we showed that, yeah, we show that if they're on, you know, long-standing anti-CD20 agents, that they they mount a very little, you know, response. Can we expect the booster to even be a benefit to that group? Yeah. So no, I think we're concerned. Here's the I, I don't have all the answers. Here's what I do. If they've been on immunosuppression less than two years, I'm still optimistic that they're going to have an immune response, and I will give them that third dose. If they've been on more than two years then we have a heart to heart. Do you really need this chronic immunosuppression or is this an opportunity to convert you to a MS therapeutic that doesn't have that complication? If we walk away from that conversation, no, we need it. And there are certainly are circumstances that patients need it. Then that is the one time I will outsmart myself and time it. And if they're on, for example, a B cell depleter every six months, Ocrevus, which is the most commonly immunosuppressant that I use, that's a time that I, if they've gotten their two doses, I don't wait, two doses, but I will wait for that third dose for about a month before their next scheduled Ocrevus to get as much of a time gap as possible. But that mm -hmm. becomes a, a much more complex scenario. And I think that really, I wouldn't want what I just said to be a blanket recommendation for the entire audience, other than if you're on Ocrevus or you're on chronic immunosuppression, you need the best is to have a, a conversation one-on-one -on -one with your neurologist to make sure that the recommendation is specific to you. Okay, that makes that's reasonable. So when you talk about, you know, having that conversation with your neurologist, you know, what are those things that you're hearing from your patients and, and your answers to those questions that maybe we didn't cover yet? Well, I think my patients, 
are asking me, is this vaccine still going to work for me being on this medication? And I think that's a very intelligent question. And I, and I, again, the answer to that is individualized based on the patient and what therapy, you know, that they're on. So I, that's a question I encourage MS patients on therapies to ask their neurologist, point blank, you know, should I be doing anything more? You know, should my concerns of getting COVID be greater, you know, because I'm on uh, this particular therapy and that vaccine has the potential of not being as effective. I agree with that. And then just the, I hate to overuse the word misinformation out there in the public about vaccines in general, even for folks that are not on the complex medications, immunosuppressants, they just, if they have a trusting relationship with their doc, they just have general questions. So it actually has felt a little old school and been some of the more complex but enjoyable conversations where, I mean, Ken and Dr. Puger and I have patients we've been following for decades and there's a trust that's built up. And it's pretty satisfying when we're able to give information about the vaccine as we know it and apply it to their individual needs. And you can see a light bulb go off that they have some trust in that. And so that we can help get the people that, because there are certain people that certainly should be vaccinated to protect them. And that's probably the overwhelming number of our patients before we get on to the nuances and the complications. So it's been really satisfying when people come into a, a meeting anti-vax, scared to death of vaccinations, not what, not sure what to do, and they leave comfortable, not bullied into it, but comfortable getting the vaccine. And we probably save more lives treating blood pressure and, and advising vaccines than we do treating MS sometimes. So that's been, I think, satisfying. And sometimes I just meet in the middle and I think this idea of they have to bite off an all or nothing. Well, if I get this, then I'm gonna have a booster, then there's gonna be another booster. And I just back up a little bit and say, you know what? No, you don't. We can start with one. Even after one dose, you're significantly protected. And don't worry about the other. Dose. We'll talk about that next time you come in. I would much, I don't think we talk enough about let's just meet in the middle. It seems to be this all or nothing phenomenon. So to the extent that we can leverage and take advantage of whatever trust we've built up, I think we should be a voice and an advocate for the patient to help them come to the decision more comfortably. Yeah, well put. And uh, I agree. And, and another question, Natalie, that you know that I think you talk about the patients may have, that I think the neurologist has to face. You know, one of my adages has always been, if it's not broken, you know, don't fix it. So the patient who's been on a particular disease-modifying therapy, whether I started it or perhaps another neurologist started it, I'm typically very hesitant if everything is going great in their lives stable MRIs, stable blood work, stable disease of just leaving it alone. But now in this age of COVID, with the, some of these particular therapies, the S1Ps, you know, the anti-CD20 monoclonal antibodies, now we have to consider, should we make a switch in someone with stable disease for the benefit of, of better COVID protection? That, that's not always an easy, it's not always an easy uh, question to answer. I don't know what you think about that, Ken. What are your thoughts? I, I know I couldn't agree more. I think we need to get back to some one-on-one -on -one conversations because even when you, when you talk about timing, it just floated in my head. It depends what time of year. I'm very hesitant to outsmart myself in the fall, winter when viruses are always more angry and around 
I'm not getting fancy. If you haven't had your dosage, I'm encouraging you to get them. We're midsummer, and we could delay for six, eight weeks to give you better timing. We might do that. So there's so many variables in this. And this conversation will change next month. Uh, so I, I think it's getting back to really that trusted relationship, take the opportunity to convert if we can just avoid some of these complexities. So it's just an opportunity, I think, for us to confirm with our patients, do we have you on the drug that you absolutely need? Do we have other options that might be more attractive from a risk perspective? If we do have risk, let's manage it the best that we can. And don't get a sniffle. If you're immunosuppressed and you're not fully vaccinated, or even if you are fully vaccinated, and you get sick on a Friday, don't be a hero and wait to go to the doctor on Monday. Because we now have treatments and their treatments aren't always easy to navigate and get. Uh, so I really encourage people to make, at least for now, a mountain out of a molehill. If they feel sick, they know what that prodrome feels like. We all know what that virus feels like a day before you get sick. Really need to jump on it and, and, and get it and get tended to by an appropriate healthcare provider and, and, and nip it in the butt. Yeah, great, great advice. As you mentioned, you know, the information is constantly changing with this, and it has a lot over the last year and a half. Um, as far as you both know, what kind of research has been done specifically in the MS community uh, about this and to, to lead us to where we are right now with our recommendations? Can I, can I take this one, Ken? Sure. Or start with this one. So there is some excellent registries around the world, and, uh, I, and I can't give you the names of all of them. There's at least three really well accepted registries around the world. So people in real world life all over the country, including the U.S., on all the medications, not on medications. So I don't know if we have prospective clinical trials that are going to answer this question. That always takes time, although it's the best science. We have a lot of observational studies. So we are collecting populations of people with MS, watching them like a hawk monitor them and then learning from that in a much more organized fashion than just asking me, hey, Ken, what do you think based on your population of patients? A much more scientific approach to observation, not technically the best science, but when you have millions of people, you still get really good information. So I think now we're being guided very well. I'll be shocked if we find out what our advice today, we might massage it. I'd be shocked if we find we take a completely different path. I wouldn't have had that confidence nine months ago, but I think now we're on the right track. I, I completely agree with that as well. And, you know, sometimes there is science. Sometimes it's just observing, you know, hey, you look at a huge population of people and you say, I'll look at all the MS patients, see what they're on and see how many of them got sick. That's just, that's just checking in the box, recording. There's some That's studies how, out there doing a little more, checking antibodies, checking IgG and IgM and checking, you know, uh, different uh, lymphocyte counts and seeing if there is, in fact, changes in, in the blood work to, to reflect these things. Would you agree, Ken, that's primarily research-based? I'm not using lab work to guide my decision for vaccination on any regular basis today. Uh, do you? Absolutely not. I, I, I go by clin clinically. Yeah. And remember, we talk about observation. We decide we found out that the world wasn't flat based on observation. So it doesn't always require a <laughs> clinical trial. Yes, yes. Well said. 
So to wrap this up, I'd like um, each of you to kind of speak to, you know, the MS population out there, maybe, you know, other patients who are worried about COVID and are apprehensive and don't understand, you know, the, co- the vaccine and things. What's your, your biggest message to them? Well, for me, not only MS patients, but everybody should be not worried, concerned about COVID. I mean, it's, we've shown this is a very serious uh, uh, pandemic, you know, and millions, you know, have died, you know, across, across the world with this. So certainly it should be treated with great respect, and, and I don't think, I think it's foolish to blow it off. That said, the bottom line to me is that MS patients, what I've learned, it should approach this most times like everybody else. Okay, I don't think there's anything in particular they need to be doing other than some exceptions and others. I think the MS patients who are on certain medications, we need to remain more vigilant with that group. They remain, I think, more vulnerable to hospitalization and and death, you know, because we have more medications that could have adversely affect their ability to mount a response to a vaccine. Uh, If we feel that's in their best interest, though, based on their disease, this is something they need to be in close conversation with their medical team, not just neurologists, but their their primary care doctors, and to say, hey, what's the strategy we can best do now to minimize my risk of getting this infection? And if I do, to minimize it, putting me in a hospital or putting me on a vent. I, I agree 100%. Take advantage of your relationships. If you have a good relationship with family care for family practice, internal medicine, have a conversation with them and your neurologist. And when you start hearing your healthcare providers give you the same message, you can build a lot of confidence in the right decision. This is not the time to go 9, 12, 14 months without seeing your doctors. And that's not uh, an arrogant statement, but Rely on the people that know about you, care about you, and know the science. Uh, we're in the trenches. We've seen when these decisions work, and we see when they don't. So we really do have your, our patient's best interest at heart. So I think getting back to visiting your doctor, talking to your primary care doctor and your neurologist, and I think now you'll find these answers and recommendations much more aligned, less confusing than the television or maybe what we were saying a year ago. I, I just think we have a better understanding today. And I think when, you, when patients start hearing the same message and same recommendation from trusted people, they can act on it a little bit more comfortably. Great. Well, thank you both for your expertise on this tough topic. Um, we hope to have you back soon. All right. Thank You're you. Welcome.